Welcome to our virtual space, where thought leaders who in a variety of ways have committed themselves to improving our lives, share their work, perspectives on current affairs, and what brought them to where they are today. My name is Rob Liu, and this is The Exchange. Thank you so much for joining us on The Exchange. Um, as you know, the exchange is really meant to discuss with a whole host of different individuals what COVID-19 has meant for them and how that really connects to their lives, their careers, what they're doing in school, the sorts of work that really gets them out of bed in the morning. So am I correct? You are a rising junior? Yes. Right? So, so when you return to Harvard, you will be a junior in the fall. So um, what might be great for our viewers and listeners is to get a sense of who you are. So what are you studying right now at Harvard? And what led you to study what you're studying? Um, big question. So my major is like a very long Harvard phrase, um, molecular and cellular biology. And then I have a secondary, which is like a Harvard minor in global health and health policy. I think I've... I'm definitely on the pre-med track and I've, I've certainly been drawn to medicine and sort of the, um, the human side, the like story filled side of medicine, uh, which is, is sort of brought in to my studies through the, the global health and health policy secondary. But yeah, I mean, from, from a really young age, I've been, been interested in science and research and in medicine and how they can work together to help as many people as possible. And that's something that I've had an opportunity to look pretty deeply in, in um, my studies at Harvard so far. Great. So thinking back to when you were a child, is there a particular moment or incident or event where you realized, wow, I'm really interested in science and I'm really interested in health? Yeah. Um, I don't know about science. I think I think it's just the area that I found I could always push myself the most. And I call it being like a perpetual student. Like there's so much in science that's constantly being discovered that, you know, you're never going to know. You're never going to know everything in like even one tiny, tiny piece of it. And I really loved that. Um, I think for, for medicine specifically, I, I was trying to figure out a lot in high school, whether I wanted to go, um, on a research track or in a medicine track. And I was working in this super awesome lab that was really like female led. And we did a lot of like smaller group workshops and classes to promote women in science. And like that was really awesome and definitely like pushed me towards like thinking that that was like the coolest thing that I could do with my life. But I wanted to explore medicine um, as well. And so I did like a high school summer volunteer program where I was doing like nine hours a day at a hospital, just rotating through um, some different units. And I remember there was one day that a woman came in who needed translator services. And I'm from Kentucky, so there aren't a lot of resources in hospitals, especially for um, folks who don't speak English. Um, the like hustle of finding a translator for um for somebody that speaks a language other than Spanish, it was like really, really quite a process because it was pretty rare where I was from. Mm -hmm. 
And I remember someone coming in who spoke like very exclusively um, some African dialect that I like don't recall the name of. And there was just like many hours of like battling to figure out how we could help her and like where we could find a translator for her, which (laughs) struck me as like quite, quite horrible. Um, And I think it was sort of like a, a turning point for like, yeah, I want to be in medicine, but also I want to be in medicine for like the people who have limited access or have barriers to receiving optimal treatment. And I started studying a little bit more about like different populations that face like really significant barriers to to medical care. And that path sort of sort of took off and, and grew into where I am today. Oh, so I think what's really clear is that you have a strong empathy for other individuals that have need. And um, one thing that really impressed me is that um, when Harvard had to close in terms of its in-person classes this spring, and it was very sudden, and students were scattering to the four winds, trying to figure out, you know, can I go home? Can I continue to take classes at home? You know, where am I going to pack up all my stuff and put it somewhere, right? Since I have to leave campus so much earlier than expected. One of the things that really impressed me was that you and some of your classmates, instead of really worrying about yourself so much, though I'm sure you did, um, also thought very much about the plight of the homeless, right? In the Harvard Square, in the Cambridge area, and that you and your colleagues made a decision that instead of just fleeing from Cambridge, and in your case, going back to Kentucky, that you would stay in Cambridge and continue your work, you know, with the homeless. Can you share with us a little bit about that work? I mean, how you got involved, for example, with a homeless shelter. And what I'd really love to hear about is what went through your head when you heard about all these things that were changing and how was it that you still kept your focus on the needs of others, and in particular, the homeless? Yeah, um, so that was certainly <laughs> certainly a chaotic week. Um, I think, I guess I'll start with like what Why Do I is. So Why Do I stands for Youth to Youth, and it's a student-run youth homeless shelter that serves guests ages 20 or 18 to 24 or 25. And it's entirely student run, um, students from Harvard and other schools in Boston, uh, and is supported by two different organizations, uh, one of which is an adult support network called uh, YOI Network. And then the other is the sort of nonprofit umbrella organization through Harvard, uh, PBHA, or the Phillips and Brooks House Association. And so that week, a lot of a lot of the really hard work and the crazy work was uh, supported by those folks who sort of jumped in and said, hey, can we help you find a place to stay? Can we help you find a place to store your stuff? What do you need from us right now? Do you need a stipend since dining halls are closing, uh, since usually the work is volunteer? Um, but I think very much everybody on the team uh, students, YWI Network, PBHA, wanted the work to keep going. It's like a very vulnerable population. And I think it, it's pretty clear that 
especially during a pandemic, there's, there's a special need uh, to support these folks and to keep them socially distancing as much as possible when they don't have stable housing, which was like a, a pretty unique challenge uh, that we had never thought about. Mm-hmm. So there have been a lot of things that changed in the model and that has, that's come from, from youth perspective, uh, student and, and guests, that's come from the Cambridge Public Health Department, that's come from PBHA and Network and many, many people uh, being involved in making sure that we can stay as safe as possible, both staff and guests. But it certainly has been a really wild ride in deciding what needs to happen in order to, to stay as safe as possible, in order to keep working to serve these folks. So I'm wondering, um, clearly COVID-19 has in some ways turned the world upside down um, and changed almost every aspect of our lives and sort of what we do. Um, in terms of the work that you did, you know, with the homeless shelter prior to COVID mm-hmm. and then what you're doing now, right, in the face of COVID-19, can you give us some examples of things that you did before and how they have changed in terms of what you're doing now, yeah. thanks to the pandemic or due to the pandemic? So um, before COVID, we had a very um, student-based model. So we had student staff in every night, um, usually five student staff in over the course of an entire overnight from open to close. And we have student volunteers coming in. So there are a few different shifts that student volunteers can take. So they can help like cook dinner. They can hang out in the evening and and chat with guests and help clean up from dinner, help clean up the space. There's the overnight, um, which is what I did when I was a volunteer. And that's kind of like the long haul, just just watching the space, making sure um, folks have everything they need overnight. And then there's the breakfast shift, which is like, cooking uh, breakfast for all of the folks that stay with us. And then um, breakfast and overnight balls help clean up the space in the morning. Volunteers are also responsible for like running laundry throughout the night because we, we go through a lot of linens since we have a lot of guests staying with us. Uh, and with this like mass exodus of students from Boston, our main volunteer base sort of evaporated. Um, And we had a lot of folks in the community, like especially um, in the church that we work out of, saying like, hey, how can we help out? Like, I'll step in, I'll fill those shifts. And that was like a really amazing thing to see. We didn't end up accepting volunteers for the sake of like controlling the number of people that were coming in and out of the space. So adjusting to a model that is exclusively staff-based has been a really interesting challenge. Um, We bring in food from like local Harvard Square restaurants, which is a thing that guests have really loved. Um, It's like, do you want Felipe's or do you want um, like reheated, (laughs) donated food from Harvard Dining Services? Um, So that's been, that's been really awesome for guests. I think we also have professional cleaners coming in and really doing like a deep clean of the space and making sure that everything's been sanitized, everything's been cleaned, which is which is super awesome and definitely really, really, really critical in um, the pandemic era. And then we have 
our laundry outsourced. So we will, we will send out like a huge, huge cart of it of just like packed with linens and folks will just like send it back to us. It's very nice. Okay. But it's definitely, definitely a, a smaller number of people that are working directly in the space to, to keep the shifts going. So it feels, it feels pretty different on shift when it's, it's you and um, up to four other staff at any given time, mm-hmm. sort of watching over the space and making sure you are meeting every need that you can, right. as opposed to having that like really amazing volunteer base. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious how many volunteers would otherwise have been there roughly? I think it varies a lot by night because people will come in and they'll volunteer in groups. I think the overnight we tend to have three volunteers and that's like this, the least staffed shift usually for breakfast and dinner, there will be like at least four people. And then evening can vary a lot because it's like one of the least like structured times. Um, But it's, those are like the bare minimum numbers. So there are definitely, definitely a lot fewer different faces coming in and out of the shelter every day. Right, of course. Um, so, you know, we've heard so much about various populations and how they've been impacted by COVID-19, by the pandemic. We've heard about sort of working families. We've heard about um, high school children, um, high school sort of teachers, Etc. research labs, scholars, companies, etc. There hasn't been as much discussion in comparison um, to those about what the experience has been for the homeless. And one might argue that one of the challenges faced by the homeless, besides the reality of their sort of physical existence and not having a home, is the fact that as a homeless individual, you have a lot of things to worry about. You know, where, where will you sleep that night? Where will food come from, right? You're much more subject to the risk of violence on the street, sort of, et cetera. Given all of the things that homeless people have to worry about, Shay, when you've spoken with your guests, with homeless individuals that are coming into the shelter, how aware are they of the pandemic and its seriousness And how does the pandemic sit in the sort of list of all the other things that they have to worry about on a day-to-day basis? I think think something that really shook me is long before Harvard students were getting, getting really, really nervous about like mass changes that were going to happen as a result of COVID, Guests in the shelter were transitioning to like elbow bumps. Oh. They were they were more nervous about people coughing. I think I think it's certainly been been a really really high ranking concern. Um, and there's a lot that we've tried to do. Um, usually, our guests have so there are two types of stays that you can have at Wide Wine. There's a 30-day stay, which is 30 days that you can have a bed with us and you can work with some of our student case managers. Um, and, and the goal is that there's some 
new level of stability that can help um, work towards a pathway out of homelessness. Maybe that's working on a resume or getting state ID or um, applying to school or there are a lot of there are a lot of ways that that can can play out. And then there is the one night emergency bed, which we can no longer support because just <laughs> like public health reasons of having different population coming in and out of the space every day. Mm-hmm. So guests that are staying with us can have a bed with us until October or mid-October right now, which is longer than it's ever been. And yes. we're seeing some some really amazing things come out of that. So we're we're really hoping that we can we can provide a, a new level of stability and a new a new constant um, in the lives of the folks that we're serving and hoping that that kind of reduces the the covid stress but we're not a 24 hour service so folks can come in starting at 7 p.m. and they have the full day to find a place to be and a lot of folks are working like a lot of them are essential workers um, a lot of folks are are in school and so they're tackling that somehow but some folks are really without a place to go during the day and without a safe way to socially distance and the best kind of the best solution that we've found because a lot of day services are closed or limited access is providing um like full month passes for guests so that they can ride the tea back and forth and at least have some sort of shelter throughout the day. That's like what we've seen some folks doing. And that's a new level of resource that we've provided. Typically we provide like one tea pass a week. Um, So it's been like a big change. That's, that's a result of trying to reduce COVID stress, but it's, it's certainly a, a high concern and, was a high concern like in the people that we serve before like Harvard students, which, uh, which surprised me. The, the shelter was like definitely the place that I was like, man, this is, this is going to be big. Yeah. So it's so interesting enough. So there was a, a sense of impending risk. Certainly. That was higher, if you will, among the homeless, which makes sense, certainly. But um, huh, that's really great to know. Um, so Shay, one thing I wanted to sort of jump back to, I'm um, a little bit because I was really struck by that. When you were talking about sort of ways in which you started to understand your particular interest in medicine, something that I noticed is that when you had an interest, you then took the next step to try and do something, have an experience, talk to someone that would help you kind of um, figure out if what might be an interest of yours is in fact indeed an interest of yours. And so I'd love to have you maybe talk a little bit more about that act of proactively figuring out what you want to do. Because I suspect that some of our viewers and listeners might be, for example, in high school right now and might be thinking about, well, I think I'm interested in this, but I'm not sure. So, I mean, if you can think back to when you were in high school, 
yeah, what was this sort of mental process like for you in terms of saying, okay, that looks kind of cool, but am I really interested in that? How did you think about yeah. exploring your interests? So that process has very certainly branched um, across high school and into college. In high school, I was really fortunate to be part of a STEM-based magnet program that provided structure for us to do a sort of minimum 360-hour research project in a local lab. And it's terrifying (laughs) to be a high schooler and to be like cold emailing um, college professors to be like, hi, your work sounds really cool. I don't have a lot of experience, but I have like these qualities and I've taken these classes. Um, <laughs> it's hard to, to find a place that um, you can jump in, I think, especially to research. So I was really fortunate to have that opportunity and to connect with someone who was such a vital mentor for me um, throughout my last few years of high school. And as for medicine, um, I did a few things. I did hospital volunteering at like over the summer that was more intense and and long-term throughout the day. And then I did um, like once a week visits uh, to just sort of chat with patients, uh, read to them, do little like arts and crafts projects at a local like rehabilitation center, which looked a little bit different than the hospital settings. That was a, a good way to, to play around with what setting that I really wanted to work in. And then branching into college, my path really, really shifted. Um, so I, uh, being from Kentucky, have seen and heard a lot about the opioid crisis growing up and that that struck me very, very hard, um, especially in high school. And coming to college, I knew that I wanted to do like something with it. I, I at least wanted to learn more. And um, that has sort of opened up the pathway of, of what I want to do now. So I started working in the shelter and that doesn't seem super medical, but it's, it's definitely changed my life because it brought awareness of like this whole separate field of medicine and type of medicine through our partnership with the Boston Healthcare for the Homeless program. Um, So we have a lot of services that come in and out of Y to Y. We have uh, legal services. We have a doctor that comes in with once a week. We have like fun workshops, like a magician comes in. Not anymore, but (laughs) pre-COVID era, the magician was quite popular. but I really got to see what medicine and service can look like as, as closely intertwined as possible. And I think through research and, and understanding the opioid crisis in various classes and through seeing the Boston Healthcare, through Boston Healthcare for the Homeless Program working in our shelter, I've sort of formed um, an idea of, of what I want to do in the future that I definitely couldn't have have dreamed of in high school. So I think do as much as you can to explore anything that seems like remotely interesting, but know that, that things will come your way that will change your life and change what you want to do. And that's like, okay. And wonderful. 
and I think happens to everyone, which you hear all the time and you never believe, you never believe applies to you, which is exactly how I was. I was like, I am going to go be a surgeon. And I know that. Um, and that's definitely not, it's not where I am now. Yes. Fantastic. Very wise words indeed, Shay. Um, so here's kind of a tricky question. Well, not really tricky. It's an, it's an interesting question. So you are, you're about to enter your third year in college, your junior year. And I mean, there will be twists and turns in the road. There'll be changes. There'll be things that change your view of what's going to happen next. So it's true that, you know, even prior to this, I'm sure you're faced sort of forks in the road where you go left versus right. And that that decision in some ways is part of why you are where you are right now and doing really what you're doing. Um, we all go through this left or right <laughs> sort of choice. Um, thinking back to high school and maybe even earlier, if Shay had gone right instead of left, or left instead of right, would you have a very different major right now, right? Is there some totally different thing that's not science and not medicine or public health that you might be doing right now in a parallel universe? What would that different Shay be doing possibly in college right now? I think that it's not... It's not super different in the way that I became interested, but I'm like very intrigued by, I guess, the power of journalism and, and the power of research and, and public, publicizing information. Um, and I think that sort of sparked in me in a course at Harvard where it was a public health course, but it was a journalist that is affiliated with Harvard Medical School, kind of talking about the value of writing stories that, that frame medicine, but are, are people-centered. And I think like, because that's, that's so much of what drives who I am and, and what I do and what I study, it, it spoke to me a lot. And I was like, man, maybe, maybe I'm totally wrong. Maybe I want to be a journalist. So I like sat down and I chatted with him about what, what that type of research looks like and um, didn't ultimately shift me. But I think there's like definitely an alternate <laughs> shape plan B that is, um, that is focused on, on telling people's stories. Oh, fantastic. Well, you know how interested I am in storytelling, <laughs> right? As sort of being a critical way in which you sort of get a deeper understanding of not just an individual, and not just their um, social connections, but indeed the entire surround that informs how you understand something, like infectious disease, like um, genetic disease, like um, the economy, etc. I think it's a very interesting tool and kind of a window into understanding things much more deeply that go beyond facts and figures and data, for example, hard data. Um, so... Shay, sort of an, another question I'd like to ask you is that um, with Lab Exchange, one of our taglines is learning without limits. And what we've seen time and time again, and I suspect we've all experienced, is that in some ways our lives are the products of overcoming um, limitations, hurdles, 
sort of specific expectations, etc., that in one way or the other or the other might have gotten in the way of us becoming who we are today and who we will become in the future. And so I'm wondering from your background, can you share with our viewers and listeners, is there a hurdle or a limitation that you overcame, right? Um, that in doing so, you have become the person you are today. Yeah, I think um, in high school, I, I lived um, a very interesting and kind of a, a very split life. I had this like magical opportunity to work in this lab and that was a lot of my life but then I also I saw a lot of I saw a lot of things of what um what challenges people really face I think like what living paycheck to paycheck means what um what addiction means what what opioids look like um how they change people. Um, that was, that was crazy for me. Um, it wasn't part of my world before that. And I, I, I think it just, it set me on a path of like, mm -hmm. this is something that I, I'm going to learn how to do something about. And I don't know, I don't know what it's going to look like. And I don't know if it's going to be, a full-time thing or if it's going to be a, a passion project, but I think taking, taking the, the, the pain and the complexity and the, the stark contrast of these two different worlds that I was living in um, when I was like so young um, really, really changed um, how I, how I think about people and how I, decide like how, how to like interact and, and empathize and um, really important things. But I guess I just hadn't really seen a lot of different backgrounds until I was faced with this like very immediate back and forth between completely different situations. Yes. So in some ways the friction and the stark contrast you know, between those two worlds in some ways forged your path yeah. to a degree in terms of the sort of empathy and the interests that flow from that. And I think that that's kind of exactly what the shelter is. It's, um, it's this beautiful place that's like, I always think of it as like a microcosm of, of humanity just sort of like pushed into one room mm -hmm. where every story is so impactful and and everything is so real and it's right across the gates of Harvard. And I think there are a lot of students at Harvard that care and there's a lot of work being done there, but it's certainly not, um, it's certainly not everybody. Right. And there are, there's a literal gate, there's a literal wall between the shelter and these like beautiful fancy buildings and the, the tourist filled Harvard yard. And that's like, something that really comes to mind every time I, I cross that gate and every time I swipe into the shelter and like go down into the church basement, you're really, you're really changing worlds and you have to be really conscious of that. But yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's mm -hmm. exactly that. It's the same kind of friction. 
Well, Shay, thank you so much for sharing that with us. I think it really gives us insight into what drives you in part and also sort of a very important need that we all know is out there, but that it's a need that in some ways is amplified even further by what's happening in the COVID-19 pandemic today. So I can't thank you enough for taking the time to share your thoughts, your history, and your perspectives with us today. I mean, this has been really great. Thank you so much.